You're listening to Rosie on the House. Oh, on a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. Come on around back. You don't need those sprinklers today. That's true. Finally. Finally. Been watering all winter. <laughs> oh, but we couldn't have asked for a better time for a little bit of moisture as we're leading into our topic today of planting or preparing to plant your spring garden. It's Rosie on the House. No matter what part of Arizona you are listening from, you can call in at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Uh, you can text questions to 411923, or if you need help with a little bit of plant or insect identification, you can send pictures to info at rosyonthehouse.com. We're joined by John J. Harper of the Farm's Choice. It looks like you've got uh, a little bit of fertilizing. How big's your garden? <laughs> <laughs> well, those, we got about 400, those... four hundred, four four hundred gallon fertilizer <laughs> tanks out there. A couple of those came from a friend of the show, Kevin Rogers' farm, okay. and a couple from uh, uh, Rodney Shedd's farm in Coolidge. We deliver uh, some liquid fertilizer in the big plastic totes. Probably anybody that's driven around Arizona has seen those sitting on the side of a ditch somewhere, and uh, you kind of forget you, you you delivered them and you till you you run out of them and then it's like hey where are all of our totes so <laughs> sitting we empty did, where you l- we did a little roundup yesterday of uh, empty fertilizer totes so those are going back out to the farm this morning and those were full of the farm's choice the farm's choice fertilizer. we do have a liquid fertilizer that we are uh, you know somewhat in the experimental stages on but uh, yeah it uh, it's a liquefied basically a tea out of chicken manure. And uh, so it can be applied in a little different fashion. A plant tea. Plant not, tea. Not a person tea. Uh, I don't think you'd want to drink it, no. <laughs> Got a lot of vitamins and nutrients and minerals in it, but I don't think it <laughs> you, would taste You, you take it secondhand through the vegetable. <laughs> right, exactly. That'd be a much better way to go. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, guys that uh, like to, to apply liquids through their irrigation water sprinkler systems... Uh, can take advantage of it and as we're coming into this wonderful planting season what are what are we looking to put in the ground right now we're not quite ready for melons yet are we no but tomatoes uh, we are right in the beginning stages where people should be ripping and roaring and getting their ground ready and be planting tomatoes we need to get those in early to beat the heat on the other end Uh, so we should be doing tomatoes we should probably be doing peppers we could we could start to we can you know you can still sneak in some spinach and some leafy leaf lettuce uh, things that don't have to form a head or you know you're probably too late for broccoli or cabbage or cauliflower but uh, certainly leaf lettuces leafy greens spring mix spinach could still squeeze those in um, cantaloupes and melons yeah maybe just a little bit early I usually wait till about the first of March but. Uh, um, but definitely, definitely be getting the tomatoes and peppers in the ground. And what are we sticking them in the ground? If we're just starting our first planting season in Arizona, uh, it, you wouldn't, it really shocked me the amount of people that requested our home maintenance calendar when they wrote in said, I'm brand new to Arizona. Uh, this is going to be very helpful. I don't know how to do anything in the garden. And 
let's let's use that as an example. You're making the effort and a commitment that we're finally going to put in a a spring garden. We're going to grow some something of ourselves, and we've got this wonderful, great uh, backyard with a couple hundred square feet to do it in, and it's clay dirt. Where, where do we even okay. start from there? Well, if we're going to grow right in the ground, um, organic material is our is our number one objective is to incorporate about as much as you can stand to do. Uh, you know, you can't overdo it. Our clay-type soils uh, have very little, if any, organic material in them at all. Uh, and so we need to just pound it with that. So I'm talking a good compost uh, product. Uh, certainly at the Farm's Choice, we make a, a compost out of chicken manure and some green waste. Uh, make make sure you're using a good compost. It, it should smell earthy, maybe a little... Ours obviously smells a little bit like manure, but it shouldn't smell too ammonia-y. So it's things are like wood are still breaking down in it. Of course, a That's lot of people... That's how you know it works. What's that? <laughs> the smell. <laughs> the smell. Well, the ammonia <laughs> smell is just a hint that it's not completely decomposed yet. So we want to make sure that we don't have a lot of that. But And a lot of people make their own compost. And that's fine. Um, but... For about 100 square feet, you probably want somewhere in the neighborhood of, oh, 10 to 20 uh, cubic feet of organic material incorporated into that to a depth of, you know, six inches to a foot deep. I would probably use about 10 pounds of gypsum or a couple pounds of soil sulfur. You can interchange those, less sulfur, more gypsum. That'll help open the soils up, maybe kind of counteract the, the salts a little bit. Um, and uh, just blend that in like you were baking a cake. When you're done, it should look homogeneous. It should change the color of that kind of tan soil to a dark, rich color, and there shouldn't be any pockets of different colors of things. It should all look homogeneous. And then, of course, you can incorporate a little more organic uh, fertilizer, uh, you know, a bone meal, blood meal, uh, chicken manure pellets, uh, any of those types of things, just a light application of that in your final kind of till or mix in. And then you're pretty much ready to plant. You might want to give it a, a good watering. Um, but if the soil is pretty moist, like if you did it this weekend, be a good weekend to do it, um, you'd, be, you'd be ready to go, be set. Then a fertilization about every 30 to 60 days with an organic fertilizer is a, is a good idea. Keep, you want to keep these annuals. You know, these are... Whether you're planting flowers or vegetables, uh, you know, they're, they're meant to grow, flower, set fruit, produce in one growing season. That's why we call them annual, annuals because you do it annually. You have to do it every year or every season. Um, and the biggest detriment to them is to stop or slow down or quit growing. They need to grow fast, produce fast, die fast. So you want to keep them fed, keep them nourished, keep them watered, fertilizer, Keep them really going uh, through the growing season and push them and get them to produce that fruit, uh, in this case, before it gets too terribly hot going into the summer. And what do you do for irrigation? It's amazing when I talk to nursery pitmen, they all have the same answer, which is not the high-tech answer you would think with today's irrigations and timers and slow release and and moisture tapes and all these things. They most just say, you know, if you can, one of those wands you hold, 
plug into the, you know, you screw onto the end of your hose because then you know how much is getting watered. You can control it, and it makes you be out there. So you pick the weeds that are starting to come up. You notice insects that may be starting to eat earlier. It it makes you be a part of the garden and, and cultivate it. But there's there's just not a lot of us that don't have that kind of time either. <laughs> well, you certainly can can put your vegetable garden on your on an irrigation timer on your sprinkler timer um i'm kind of with that old school train of thought though whether you just run a, a hose slowly down the furrows or if you have a flat garden and you don't have furrows to to run water down just a an old-fashioned inexpensive sprinkler that you screw on the end of the hose and set it out there in the middle of the garden and turn it on and let it run a while. The other thing I kind of like about sprinkler overhead watering is it washes the dust off the leaves. It keeps some of the actually insects washed off. Um, uh, so it does help in some respects that way. Um, the problem with sprinkler watering and your watering areas maybe that don't need watering, it can be a little wasteful, certainly more wasteful than a drip tape or a or that sort of thing. It's just really probably you ought to water how you're going to be able to do it most effectively given your time schedule. Um, you know, the problem with irrigation on timers with things like vegetable gardens is, you know, you get a rain, now you got to turn it off. Um, you know, if it gets a little warm for a few days, you need to up it. So it's, you know, it's, it's a little more sensitive to timing than, for instance, your lawn or your drip irrigation. Uh, to the rest of your landscape. So you, if you're going to put it on a timer, it probably needs to be even a separate timer, perhaps just a little inexpensive one-station timer that just does nothing but your vegetable garden. one 4348 That's one Rosie, for you. And we'll get to the calls in the next segment to help you get ready for your planting season or any questions about your lawn, landscape, or garden. We've got Jay Harper of the Farm's Choice in studio with us. Text questions to 411923 or email at info at rosieonthehouse.com. We'll talk about different varieties. You mentioned tomatoes. Is, now is a great time. Well, there's there are different varieties that do better in Arizona than others, along with different types of uh, peppers. Uh, there's a, now I'm, I'm going to make it happen this year, but every year there's a tool and it's a, it's a kitchen grinding tool that's designed to take everything you chop up to make a salsa and grind it all one straight into the bowl. And then you just add your salt oh. or whatever type of seasoning, lemons, mm -hmm. salsa. We're going to, we're going to grow and grind salsa this year <laughs> very good very good yeah the varieties you want to try especially with tomatoes that you want to look for and concentrate for are the are the shorter uh time to maturity varieties you know things that are between you know 55 to 75 days um early girl has been around forever obviously as the name implies it's a very early uh to maturity variety um, I like Celebrity still, I think, is I think still absolutely the best, most reliable tomato. If you want the, a combination of reliability, pretty early ripening, and decent size, I think it's pretty hard to beat Celebrity. Celebrity tomatoes. And is it seed starting time or is oh, you're too, you're, we're you're too late, too late for, for seeds? Look for the starter you plants. You've got to start plants now. Yeah. Okay. And you can get those at just about any local nursery, and we can talk about 
our preference for local nurseries over uh, other others after this. But one other thing that you got to be aware of, if you build it, they will come. And I'm talking insects, birds. You've got to have a plant prison to have a, a good, healthy crop. And don't forget what comes underneath the ground. Anything that can burrow, crawl, they're going to find the water source they're going to find the roots they're going to start pulling your plants down make sure you have mole max and gopher max from bonide in your arsenal to start combating the boring animals that are going to come try and steal your hard work away from you we're not growing this for them they've got plenty of other things they can uh, go survive on and not our our garden produce in our backyards they're available in 10 pound bags and cover 5,000 square feet that's Molmax and Gophermax. Bonide products are family-made in America. Now, you've got to read and follow labeled directions. What does that mean? Well, we're going to dive into that. When you're dealing with Molmax and you're trying to rid something of your lawn, here's how you do that by following the labeled directions. First, we want to determine which way the animals are burrowing. So dig down a little bit where you see the clump of dirt and find out which direction the tunnel is going. If the tunnel is going into your yard, that's not the tunnel we want to attack. We want to find the ones that are directing away from your yard. Once you find the tunnels that are going away, on day one, you apply Molmax to the areas unaffected. That will keep them from moving into that area. You water it in for 10 to 15 minutes. Day number two, you move it out a little further, and you complete that process until you have your complete yard covered. Now, this will last every two to three months. Molmax is a deterrent. It's not a lethal application. Now, if you're really good and you're able to follow those tunnels, every few feet, poke back in there and add a few more tablespoons of the granular. That's how you can handle it with Bonide's Molmax. You can find them in Phoenix at Treeland Nursery in Mesa are all three summer wind nurseries. A couple of rapid fire questions here for you on text. One from a 602 area code that's dealing with a roly poly bug bug problem. Now, is that an official name, Roly Polers. I just <laughs> I think call it them is. Okay. No, I think that's an <laughs> that's official really name. That's really the name. If anybody's ever had kids, that <laughs> they've they've little kids have, I think should have changed the name from to the of the sow bug to Roly Poly. They look like little armadillas. You know, they little look like a armored shell, uh, and they they as a defense mechanism they roll up into a little ball. So I think that's a great name. I think that should be the actual name for them, Roly Polies. Well, they are have a repeat problem every time the weather starts to get warm. They come out and they destroy the garden. What? Without using pesticides, they don't want to okay. put anything on their vegetables that they're going to have to eat later. Mm-hmm. Is there something that they could apply that would help eliminate or, or at least control this problem a little bit more? Absolutely. Diatomaceous earth on almost any crawling insect, anything that's going to move and walk through the diatomaceous earth, pick it up, and it'll get trapped up in their body, and it kind of dices and slices them, and, and they just bleed to death, basically. They dehydrate from moisture loss. Uh, it is great for snails, slugs, earwigs, roly-polies, uh, roaches, crickets, anything that's gonna, that is mobile and is going to move around on the ground and crawl. It'll work great. Another text question. They've got a 10 by 12 area. We talked about soil prep a little bit earlier. They've got yes. a hard, rocky 
area in this 10 by 12 they want to put the garden and they want to know if they should till it up or build a container and backfill it with soil well if it's tillable <laughs> then then that's fine if it's just absolutely a rock pile and depending on where you live um, you may not even be able to get a tiller to till down six inches so if, if you can't stick a shovel in the ground six eight ten inches deep um, then you're probably a good candidate for a raised garden and that can be simply done out of anything from just some timbers to if you want to be real extravagant and have something more attractive in the landscape something like a bell guard uh, stackable wall stone product uh, you know and then fill that with instead of having to then buy compost and mix and do all that, you would literally go buy a pre-made, pre-prepared uh, potting-type soil and fill it up with that. You know, on a on this type of size, though, if you're looking at 10 by 12, don't make your container that wide. You're not going to be able Good to point. reach uh, but two or three feet from each side, so then you're going to be trampling through your... Yeah, Your you've got to be able to reach mix. reach at least halfway into the garden from either so from either side you can you can work the whole thing. So more like, you know, four foot wide by however long you want to make it. In this case they could do two of those with an aisle down the middle, uh, would work fine. Yeah. It's not happening until September, but you had mentioned Bellgard. We're going to have a remote at Marvell Masonry on Indian School in Central Phoenix. One of the things we're going to be doing is different styles of container gardens you could do with Bellgard. And I tell you, I have the I get more and more excited every time I talk about a keyhole garden setup. Have you seen that concept of container garden? I've seen layout? it. Yeah, I've never done it, but I I've seen it. So for the listener, visual visualize you're standing in one spot. And you make a, a circular garden around, and you leave one space to walk in and out, and that's where you get the keyhole concept. From the top down, it looks like an old-fashioned keyhole. And what's, what's fun about it is you can do so many different things with that keyhole garden in addition to just planting your garden. You can build it up high enough that the outside of that can be a seating area. You could have different ele elevation changes with your Bellgarde pavers. You could put different, uh, you'd mentioned pots. So if your keyhole bed is all your vegetable gardens, you could do different container pots along the top of it to do different flowers or herbs or something that uh, you, you, you would just put in a little container. I mean, the, the amount of of use you can do and decorate and because it's so contained it's a lot easier to put some kind of gazebo with netting over the top instead of having to do this you know something that would support a 12 by 10 or you know something massive you're getting into a lot of weight and wind issues when, when it comes along you've got to get some things a, a lot more structurally sound than normal it's it, it's a fun concept I've got a place picked out that I want to put ours in and they uh, so that that we'll be covering how to build one of those as we get uh, at this re the remote. I think it's the last set Saturday in September, but we'll kind of uh jumping ahead of the the gap. Well, you can, and and it brings up one, a good point though. A raised garden could be anything. I mean, it can be you can have a bunch of empty pots, and you can have them, you know, arranged in your on your back patio. You know, a lot of people are now 
starting to live more urbanly here in high rises and you know condominiums that that have no yard or garden per se other than maybe a balcony or a or a small patio um, so you can't even really do what we would consider a typical raised garden out of Belgard wallstones. You're going to have to do it out of some type of container, whether yeah. it's ceramic or clay. A high-rise condo owner might get a little upset when he starts seeing you stack those bricks on the patio. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE4U. We're mm-hmm. going to talk to Mark and San Manuel when we get back and run through a handful of lawn questions that have come in as well. And I got corrected. It's September 15th is our remote at Marvell Masonry and Central Phoenix. September will be focusing in our home maintenance calendar on fall gardening. Uh, We're going to back it back up here to spring, but fall is another great time in Arizona. In fact, I've heard Jay say many times that he... uh, you, you prefer the fall garden season over the spring one. Well, I prefer fall over spring, period, just because I know the, <laughs> the, the what's, temperatures what's are going spring. in the right direction. <laughs> I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday at a nursery, and they were we were saying how beautiful. I said, yeah, the only problem is we know what's coming. So, you know, starts the, those 75, 80-degree days soon become 85 and 90-degree. If it could just stay there a little longer, you know, but uh, – <laughs> It is what it then, is, but... Then we'd really have a population problem. <laughs> true, true, especially if they keep having winters like they're having back east, right? Right. <laughs> Let's get to Mark at one 767 4348 That's one rosie for you from San Manuel. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Rosie. Um, hey, my question is uh, on that diatomaceous earth in the garden. Do you, um, like, go sprinkle it all over the garden and, you know, shake it out on the garden and till it in? Or um, how do you apply that? Well, you could you can till it in if, if you're trying to control pests that are deeper into the soil, emerging and crawling out that way. Typically, though, what we want to happen is for the pest to walk through it. So most often it's either okay. applied on top of the soil or... You can make a band or a barrier around the garden with it or around the expansion joints around your house. or So they have to walk through this to get into the house or walk through it to get into the garden. Uh, but if they're already in the garden area, just sprinkle it, sprinkling it on top of the ground is probably the most effective way to use that. Okay, excellent. That's, that's what I need to know. It's a lot like uh, eating crawfish. When you're done handling it, you go wash your hands before you touch anything else. If you're getting a little sweat on your eyebrow, uh, the food grade obviously doesn't hurt, but you look like you just walked out of a powder room. If you <laughs> if you touch anything on your clothes or your forehead or you're wiping sweat off, when you're done with that diatomaceous or that fine powder, you got to go scrub off before you touch anything else or it just leaves this white coating. It's a little hard to use without getting it a lot of places you don't want to. Now with the moisture, uh, would you still put it on the ground while it's still a little wet? You definitely don't want to 
store it where it would get wet. Well, correct. But if the soil is damp or moist, that shouldn't be an issue. Now, if we have a lot of moisture after you've applied it, you may need to reapply it. Uh, you know, again, so it's one of those things you can put a little bit on all the time. It will, you know, if you if you want to kind of fight that battle a little bit all the time, it's not a bad thing to just keep a little dusting of it out there. Very uh, economical in pricing. It, it's not expensive, and it doesn't. It goes a long ways. You know, you can scatter it, or like I said, you don't need to put it everywhere. If you want to just make a little band of it in places, that that works too. Handful of lawn questions have come in both. Uh, email and text ride to bermuda are we ready for that transition yet no hopefully not because <laughs> that means <laughs> you it's said summer's hot. coming but hopefully it's <laughs> yeah, not hopefully that. it's uh, it's only the middle of february hopefully we got uh oh middle of april before that really starts to to rear its head and usually it'll tell you itself you'll notice all of a sudden we get a couple of warm days, and boom, we got a spot in the ryegrass that starts to look a little stressed or dies out. Now, we've had such a relatively warm winter that a lot of the Bermuda grasses have, if they're getting adequate moisture, have started to green up uh, on their own. But as far as just forcing the transition, if you have a winter or ryegrass or cool season lawn, into the summer lawn. There's no need to do that yet. But we do want to force the issue once we get into April because invariably what happens, people that don't make that transition happen on it, it doesn't do it on its own very well anymore. These ryegrasses linger way longer into the summer than they should or than the Bermuda grasses can tolerate. And consequently, what happens in about the first of August when we have, you know, the high humidity and the warm nights and the ryegrass finally does die that you didn't think was still there, but it is. And all of a sudden we have no lawn left at all. So we'll talk about that as we get closer, but there's no reason to be forcing that issue yet. What about weeds? Uh, we've got this wonderful weather, a little bit of moisture. We love it. So do the weeds. Yeah, and, you know, you can tell that it's been drier because there really aren't many weeds and there aren't many African daisies or wildflowers popping up around in people's gravel yards this winter. Um, But with this last little moisture, it probably will stimulate some. Um, Obviously, probably that time, from a time consciousness standpoint, using pre-emergence in areas that you can is, is your best bet to just prevent the weeds completely. Those have to be put on before the weed emerges, hence the name pre-emergent, and they have to be watered in to be activated. So if you could catch it, I think there's rain coming again next week, a couple days maybe. If you could get it on while the ground is still a little moist and before the next storm or two is a great way to do that. Uh, The second best time is to control weeds when they're very young and small because you can either mechanically remove them with a hoe or a hula hoe or a rake, uh, before they start getting established, they're pretty easy just to scrape off. Uh, or if you're going to spray them, they're much easier to control when they're young and tender and really starting to grow fast than waiting for them to get big and mature. The other thing that happens when they get big and mature, they produce seeds, and then the seeds fall on the ground, and we just repeat the process. So pre-emergent or control it when you first see the green starting to come up. You mentioned applying it now and 
maybe a little bit of moisture next week soaks it in. If we don't get that rain, how long will it be good out there that I, I've got to go back and follow it with a water hose to soak it in? Oh, I, you know, you could probably up to 30 days is no issue. But if you let it go too long, the sun will break it down, the heat will break it down, and you'll lose your effectiveness. You've got to get it moist, get Pretty it soaked quick. into the soil. Yep. What, uh, what do you like for a pre-emergent? Well, you know, there's there's a bunch of products out there from, you know, uh, you can't say free range chickens. Well, <laughs> that wouldn't be pre-emergent because they got to come up for them before that's they can, true <laughs> before they can post uh, harvest them. But uh, you know, if you look for a product with has dimension in it, the reason that I like that is it does control spurge, and it seems to be our biggest nemesis, especially in the hot weather, and it spreads rapidly. Uh, and it's just become a pretty big issue uh, in our landscape, even in nurseries. Um, so any any product that has the active ingredient dimension in it uh, is pretty darn effective, especially if you're going into spring with this application to control the spurge. With the adaption of technology into the radio program where the old days it was just a phone or People would write letters, and you'd have physical paper letters that you'd read on air with texting and email now. Uh, you, can, you can always tell in this hour what people are doing. If they're on hold, they're sitting inside or they're sitting around, they've got time to kill, they want to chit-chat, ask the question. When everything is coming in in email and text, you can tell they're out there right now. They're busy in their car. They're working. Hopefully they're, they're not driving. <laughs> no, they just, they're just not stopping from their break. We've got a uh, back to our question earlier, our conversation earlier when we were talking watering. This uh, individual has a great, uh, a great wraparound container garden up on the west and south side of their house and they're just looking for solutions to reduce the amount of time it takes to water that and wanted to know about a soaker hose and if if you're using a soaker hose what are the best practices do you bury it does it have to be on an angle uh, what kind of timer do you put it on well there's a number of different soaker applications there so there's the drip type that have you know perforations every so often there's also the uh, the drip the quarter inch tubing that just has literally uh, an emitter spot built into it ever so often, um, and and those both work pretty well. And those probably are best just laid right on top of the so especially if it's a container garden that you're going to be changing relatively often, you can just lay those on top of the soil um, and just kind of snake them in and around and through the the areas that need to get wet. As far as how long to run them, that's kind of trial and error. You just need to turn it on and see how long it takes for that to get the entire area moist. So the first time is just a manual run and time it. And then you can set your timer up, you know, so it runs the length of time needed to do that. That will never change. What will change is the frequency that you do it at. So obviously the hotter it gets, the more frequent it will need that. The cooler it gets... The, the least often. So that's the one that you're just going to have to kind of kind of watch, watch the soil moisture, watch the plants, and have to adjust that accordingly. 
you don't like to change the amount of water you're putting on. You just like to change the frequency. And that goes for water and tree shrubs, dri- anything. That that duration should really never change. What should change is our frequency. We want to be watering to the proper depth if we're watering with drip plants in the ground. And that's where the, the little brochure that's put out by AMWA, the Landscape Watering by the Numbers, uh, is really uh, a nice tool so you can figure out how many gallons of water it takes to get to a certain depth and based on the size of the plant, how many gallons you need to cover that plant um, uh, appropriately to get to that depth. So once you figure that out, then the frequency is a little bit the wild card, and that obviously is a seasonal change. Um, and, and, of course, it may be an environmental change. If it rains or that sort of thing, you have to be able to, to adjust. You can. Uh, a lot of people are starting to go to the smart timers, the smart controllers that have a little weather station built in that will do some of that adjusting for you. Um, so that's if you, if you just really want a no-brainer, no-thinking set it up. Getting it set up can be a little bit of a challenge, but once it's set up and going – then those will make those adjustments based on temperature and moisture and rainfall all on its own. And most of these you can find at Sprinkler World, Ewing, John Deere, which is now Site One or One Site? Site One. Site One, I believe. Site One. Horizon. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Grand. And sometimes the smart controllers, uh, uh, Salt River Project or some of the cities might participate in a little rebate program with you if you purchase one of those. But um, – just be be prepared to do a little reading. They're not you don't just plug them in and go. They've got to have some a little bit of uh, work and setup time devoted to them. That's always the kicker. <laughs> There's always a catch, right? <laughs> Nothing's that easy. Nothing's quite that easy, but it's certainly a lot easier than it has uh, it has been in the past. Well, absolutely, and and even regular controllers that don't have that feature built into them are. Very, very flexible. I mean, you can you can run this valve, you know, two times a day every day and this valve, you know, for an hour once a week and the other one once a month. And, you know, all of that flexibility is built into these controllers now. A texter wanted to know, how do I have – how do I get a lawn to look like a golf course? Well, I'll tell you, the golf courses, they do a lot of sneaky things, like when they apply their liquid – uh, fertilizers or pre-emergence. They put green dyes in there, and they they color it. And there's there's a lot of neat little tricks that a, a big golf course budget can get. But if you're trying to get this for your home on a homeowner's budget, that's where Bonide's Weed Beater Complete comes in handy. It's a total lawn control product that is labeled for over 200 types of weeds that grow in your grass that uh, can take it over. It's available in a spreader application. You can find Bonide products that are made in, family made in America across the entire state of Arizona. If you're in the uh, Prescott area, Waters Garden Center up on Iron Springs. If you're in Mesa, Treeland Nurseries, and Fort Tucson, you can get out to Mesquite Valley Growers. taking it easy as we stroll out to Queen Creek. 
bring Jeremy into the conversation and see how we can help him with his lawn. Welcome to the program, Jeremy. Hey, how's it going? Very good. How can we help you? Um, so I bought a house in October and didn't plan on uh, planting any winter grass last last year. And being that it's starting to get a little, little warmer out, minus the last few days, I was starting to think about summer grass. So I was kind of wondering when I should start doing that and kind of the process of going about getting it started. Are we starting from scratch, Jeremy? I mean, you got a blank canvas, bare dirt. Um, no, there is. There's some bed grass there, and kind of some weeds coming in that I've been kind of pulling as they come in. Okay. Is there a sprinkler system? I mean, where are we at? There is. I'm sorry. Yes, there is a sprinkler system. Okay. So we're not going to get in there and just start rototilling and tilling up dirt. You've got the what was maybe a lawn before that you're going to revitalize or redo. How many square feet is it? Um, I would say it's probably about 15 by 30. So probably about. So 500 square feet or less, a fairly small lawn, pretty normal by today's standards. Um, yes. You know, you could you could sod that anytime you want. Our sod companies these days and have for years overseed their, their Bermuda-type grasses with a cool season lawn. So, I mean, you could go out there and sod it, and then, you know, when it gets warm, that cool season grass is just going to die off in the— and the tiff or uh, mid iron or whatever the type of hybrid Bermuda grass you're going to have purchased is just going to come up and come back through it. It's just sitting there dormant. So if you're ready and tired of looking at dead grass and and dirt, I would get that thing. The best way to do it is probably just actually actually the slickest way to do it is to rent a sod cutter. And you literally just go in and skim off that that old dead turf, and it gives you a pretty darn smooth grade. You have to do a little raking and and work maybe a little organic material in, just kind of rake it in lightly. Um, that way you can kind of mark your sprinkler heads so you don't run any of them over with a flag or something. Uh, scrape that old turf off. Get it nice and smooth and level. Put a little organic material on it, and just lay that sod, and you're good to go. Okay, perfect. Well, enjoy your lawn this summer, Jeremy. We appreciate the call. If you have any questions in the meantime, you can reach us at same number you got us at today. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie, for you. We had a, a texter wanting to know how to keep cats out, and there is a there's one, there's a product called Go Away from Bonide that's for rabbit, dog, and cat. Now, you have to be careful when you're picking out Go Away because they have it labeled for different animals. They change the ingredients, and sometimes you can mix the two of them if you're trying to keep animals that are labeled for each product out. There's no no harm in applying one over the top of the other. Uh, there's also a, a company called Contact that used to make an ultrasonic sensor now it's electronic so you've always got to make sure that the batteries are working it's plugged in and i cannot for the life of me find this contact because they make you can find the products on amazon.com and walmart but i cannot find the company anymore i don't know um, mm. if they've sold or changed or what but they've got a number of mechanical deterrents like the uh 
the scarecrow. It's a motion-activated mm-hmm. sprinkler that you right, plug in. Right. And again, you've got to constantly be monitoring your 9-volt batteries. And uh, the only way to test it is to walk out there and wave your arms and, <laughs> or send your dog yeah. out there. But animals learn pretty quick to stay out of the way of its uh, range. Do you, Other than uh, uh, traps, have you found any, any other way? For cats specifically? Mm-hmm. Can't say on the air. Um, now that's a tough one because you know really trapping them probably is the only way to uh, get rid of them completely if you've got a problem with free range or feral cats or people not abiding by their responsibilities and keeping their cats contained Um, you know there's all kinds of probably somebody will call and say use mothballs or cayenne pepper or this or that. And I think all of those odor-driven things work. You just have to continually put them out there because they don't last forever. Um, I've had people take little mouse traps and kind of bury them slightly so when they walk, it snaps their little paws and scares them away. And again, those work for a little while uh, till they figure out where they how are. How to navigate them. How to navigate them, that sort of thing. So... At the end of the day, probably completely eliminating the the cat or the nuisance is probably the only really true effective way to go. You know, one thing that uh, Amanda had found on Pinterest a couple of years ago that has worked good for us is the crates that you get from the nursery with all your flowers in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like a the, flat. The black uh-huh. plastic flats. Yep. When your seeds are started, flip that over and then they can't dig in your soft soil and that keeps them away yeah good point the sun can get through there mm-hmm. and still still come up till you get them up a little bit yep jay harper the farm choice thanks for your time this saturday morning the uh, aps is in the lobby we'll be talking about the rate change it's coming down you can join the conversation at one 767 4348 dave called in uh, almost 10 minutes ago he wanted to be the first on the line and he's holding patiently uh-oh <laughs> Be a fun, com- fun, fun hour next hour. <laughs> APS rate change. You have a second home in the mountains around Prescott, and you're not sure who to call to take care of it or what to do at the point you're ready to do some improvements or some additions or change the layout to meet your accommodations and your living needs? We'll start with renovations. They've been a Rosie on the House certified partner in the Prescott area since we opened there in 2009. This is the only guy we go to for any of our general contracting needs north of Cordes Junction. Give old Tom Riley a call if you've got questions about your house, home, castle, or cabin. Did you hear something in this hour's broadcast you wanted to listen again or share with someone else who could use the information? It's easy. Go to rosieonthehouse.com and select podcast. Select today's broadcast, and inside you'll find that each of our four hours are broken down into our four individual segments. And we include keywords for quick referencing if you're trying to find that one specific topic we talked about. Or click on the podcast link and the whole hour will be downloaded to your podcast, all at rosieonthehouse.com.